Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Are we on now? My goodness. My goodness. What can we do? I have I to mean, re-record this. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I just sit here and talk. I have no technical expertise to bring whatsoever. I made the tea. That was my We said a lot of really profound things. You just miss, we just changed. In fact, wow. we spent a bunch of time talking about the audio and how it might or might not be on. Yeah. This is why I have a normally, this is why I normally have a, uh, well, look at that. Someone says your audio is not on. Your audio is not on. Oh, thanks, AJ. Whoever. Shoot. Well, hello again, everybody. Uh, sorry about that. There's some malfunction. If you stuck with the first 10 minutes of us rambling silently, then good There's for you. There's still three people live. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's more people than we normally have. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do much live stuff. Uh, we're, we're, more of a, we're more of a repeat show. I heard we sound better on like record, recorded like than live. Really? I just made that up. I, I just, just I don't know. Just, you heard that from just, yourself? Yeah, I just made it up. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about the Bible. Um, um, well, a couple things, a couple just, uh, I don't know. Was there anything we said before that was of any value? Are we on now? There we go. Look at that. Okay, he's working. Now you can, now you can stop. Panicking. Okay, now I can. We have you can audio now. Uh, what we said that was profound before is your question. So we did, we talked about the fact that you preached this week and as a, as a worship pastor, I mean, probably similar to how I felt as a youth pastor back in my youth ministry days, you almost get a pass on, on pretty much anything. Now, fortunately the message was great. Uh, and, and I don't even just mean it was theologically accurate, which is one measure of goodness, I guess, but it was, it was deeply connected for lots of people. But there is this kind of sense of as well of like when you work in the world of worship, you don't spend a lot of time doing counseling appointments. You don't spend a lot of time doing some of the follow-up stuff. So there is a bit of a sense of, yeah, let's stir up the waters. Let's get things all nice and muddy. And then some poor idiot comes along and tries to clear them again. That's right. See, I can just say yeah. stuff Yay. and then he has to deal with the outcomes yeah. of it. So, so, it, was so kind yeah, of, yeah. it was kind of fun. Um, Which is fine. Um, the other, a uh, couple other things of housekeeping, since I didn't even get to this before our audio was broke, was not broken. I apologize for the audio, all my equipment's over there. And so I have to figure out the workflow to get it so that I can hear things. And, mm -hmm. and, and I was such. saying, Aaron gets a pass for almost anything on Easter week because it is chaos with all the different moving parts. The sanctuary is, it's a surprise for Good Friday. Looks cool. Differently. Differently cool. And then that will all have to get flipped again. So there's so many moving parts, so many people coming in through services, all those different things. And then the normal activity just continues as well. Because yep. surprisingly, we're always shocked, right? When we get through Easter and then Sunday 
like appears after that like you know it still comes the next week it's still like yeah and we get to take easter monday off but that just gives us less time to do all the stuff we have to do before the next sunday exactly so just, yeah so um a couple things we are now on apple podcasts yeah so if you want to listen to a podcast where the first 10 minutes of it there's no audio then yeah. you should pick us yeah. because that's the kind of podcast like we, we could run edit it before we put that on <laughs> You think so? Um, I don't know. That feels like we don't maybe. have bandwidth. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I, I think so. That I, might be wise. Yeah, 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 I think so. Let's cut that. Let's not start with 10 minutes of silence. Um, All right. We're not that kind of podcast. We're so put together. Yeah, we're so organized, so so detailed. And, and, and I heard that we sound better on podcasts than we do on YouTube. I'm just making that up as well. <laughs> you keep looking yeah. at me like I'm serious. So this week we get to flip a little bit because usually you're throwing me questions like, so where did you come from for this message? Like what was the like the, the the big idea behind it maybe? What were some things you left out on the cutting floor? And now we get to flip it. It's like classic, it's all on you now, don't screw it up. Um like we get to you get to you get to shine. So so, <laughs> so we talked about disgust, which was the last of our emotions. And and then I talked the week before about how um a couple of psychologists say really there's just two emotions at the very core level. There was fear and love. So all the way through your message, there were things that were firing in my brain of like, wow, like this feels like it has some deep connections to that. Because you totally. talked a ton about love um, as an almost, I would say, say you didn't, I don't think you used the word, but almost like an antidote to, to disgust. To moral disgust, so, yeah. yeah to, so just, so unpack, yeah, you just said moral disgust. Unpack for a second, like, so there's moral disgust, not just you made me disgusting tea or that food looks You made disgusting. the tea today. It's so actually it's pretty, yeah. good. <laughs> pretty good. Oh, wow. <laughs> Damning with faint praise. It's pretty good. Uh, so, so, yeah, let's begin from the beginning then. Of d disgust is that experience you have when you bite into an apple and find that it's rotten. Like on its core level, like what is happening there? Well, I, it's a, I, I, we talked about the physical disgust is this, mm -hmm. it's the physiological response to potentially dangerous or hazardous things. Mm. I don't, I don't remember the exact definition I put up on the screen off the top of my head, but it's. I just remember it being spelt correctly. The, at least that was. <laughs> if you didn't notice, I, when I talked about emotional intelligence, I spelt the word intelligence wrong. Yeah. That's so that's, awesome to me. That feels like that's the one word in that sentence you have to get right. Yep. Like the others you could get past, but... No, 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 no. I love that I got it wrong <laughs> because it's so me. Like it feels so true to who I am. If anyone knows me, I have this gift. It might be my spiritual gift. I love it. To misspell not just things, but the funniest things just, possible. Yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah, if you didn't get a chance to see that, I posted on my Facebook. It's the only thing I posted in maybe two years. Yeah, I liked that. Uh, a photograph of of me standing in front of a screen hmm. of a slide that I created personally. Yeah, where I spelt the word intelligence and then wrong. had it spelt correctly for the book title further that's down. That's so great. Anyway, <laughs> right sorry for those of you who know me, you can just be <laughs> like, "Yep, that's true." Ah. All right. So you've what got, you've got this, yeah, you've got this physiological reaction that goes on. Again, very similar to the fight or flight that we talked about during fear. It's this self-preservation idea. Uh, if I eat the apple that's rotten, I might get sick. And there's some, so something in your body, it's like... Um, I just did a furry up kind of sound. But, but that reaction is just a visceral, like, 
human protective thing. So you went then from physical disgust, and I loved the the differentiate differentiate differentiation. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, of, I think of so. Physical disgust. I can't spell it. Uh, physical disgust, and then and then you unpacked moral disgust. Yeah, which was again like for most people, I think, is a much more profound experience than physical disgust. Physical disgust disgust is momentary. It's a reaction to something. Um, and, and there's probably a bunch of words we could throw at people that would would trigger it a little bit, but not in the same way as the actual experience. Moral disgust feels like it can be a more generally held view of, of a behavior, a group of people, all of those different things. Totally. Well, and I actually, I didn't get a chance to use this language just because I ran out of out of time inside the the, uh, the message. But I actually, the same thing happened in my brain when you talked about your message the mm -hmm. previous week. And then it, I, I I referenced very briefly Kevin's message a couple mm -hmm. weeks prior. So you have shame, mm -hmm. which was what Kevin preached about. Yeah. And then the previous Sunday, right before I preached, you talked about fear. And I felt like disgust sort of sits as this like, this, this fulcrum emotion in between these two things, because the mm -hmm. reason we're disgusted is because of fear. Yeah. But the result of disgust is often shame. Oh, yeah. And so like it sits right there in this, in this middle space and it can create tons and tons of shame, or you can manage that well and then instead engage people. Uh, as and well. when you say shame in that sense, are you, are you uh, do you mean loads of feelings of shame or loads of shaming of other people yeah the shaming of others yeah and it and thereby feelings of shame in them mm -hmm. wow yeah. i love it and so we talked we went physical disgust through to moral disgust and then what i loved is that you unpacked and it was really like creating the the big problem the felt need in the room isn't that the objection to most people outside of church to the church, not to Jesus, but to the church as a group of people and, and us included by extension. South, like you guys think we're disgusting. You guys, you're contemptuous towards us almost like you have no space for us. Yeah. And I, and again, this is, I, I felt like there were so many things like if you're paying, if you're dialed in, you saw all sorts of maybe logical tangents you could have chased down of a whoop. Aaron didn't address this and Aaron didn't address <laughs> You're right. I didn't address a ton of things. And if I managed to pull the wool over your eyes and you didn't notice, ta-da. Ta -da. Wizard is behind the curtain. Yeah. And no maybe plans. that's, is that how you feel every week where there's just tons of like logical tangents or like loopholes yeah, in the I just argument? Yeah, I follow them all. Uh, I'm just like, ooh, tangent. Ooh, tangent. Tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just felt like if I were to make a counter, counter argument against my sermon, I had lots of ammunition. Yeah. I think I had options to address those things. I just didn't have time to. Mm. And so I just didn't bring them up. And I yeah, tried if to you sort had of to like... Pick, could you pick one, like one, like silver bullet or whatever against your general premise that you think, wow, that was the one that came back that I was like, this is a conversation if someone brings this up. Yeah, I think, I think that some, if you're listening to this, sort of what I challenged is that the only rule is love. And... I, so I make that statement, but then what about our kids? Mm? The, I think here's one of the counter arguments to my sermon. So I'm going to undo myself right okay, now. I love undo it. Undo my own sermon. Kids. So 
what if I, there's certain moral behaviors or lifestyles that I don't want my kids exposed to because it might contaminate their worldview and their lives. Mm -hmm. So I didn't bring this up in the message just because it's a long, difficult, challenging thing. Yeah, it feels like we could go off on a huge tangent. There's someone gave me that, we've wrestled this with this actually and I don't know how much time we want to devote to this. It's a fun site with homeschooling because your kids are in public school, right? Yeah. And my kids are, are in a, a sort of, it's almost like a cooperative. Um, it's called Journey Academy and, and we love what they do. It, there's definitely been questions for Laura and I as to like my very, very much my premise was that they need to be a light in the world around them. Yeah. Laura's premise was very much, don't send your kids to Rome to be educated and be surprised when they turn out to be Romans. Um, which again, like you could uh, both in some ways, there's, yeah. there's arguments behind both of them. And I, I mean, I hinted at this in the message when I talked about how like Peter in the story uh, of Cornelius and Peter in, in Acts 10, which is the text we anchored in, he'd been trained to avoid these things for good reason. Mm -hmm. Like the Old Testament had actually hinted at these sorts of things of like avoiding the worship of other idols, of all all these sorts of things. And so there is an argument to say um, that if I'm exposed to certain things, you can either become the world or you can be so, or you can affect the world around you. And so Uh I think the the biggest counter argument to some of what I was getting at was that Maybe some folks aren't mature enough or they're not strong enough to actually Mm. be exposed to certain behaviors. And if it is actually sin to just to, to be around it might actually lead me into thinking that it's completely okay and and healthy. And so again, I realize that right now I'm even undoing a lot of my argument. I still think that there, that, that the standard that God lays out and the standard that Jesus holds out in front of us is clearly on the side of love um, and and trying to figure out the complexity of that. And, and, I th- and I think as well, we would say wherever you find yourself sat in that place, whether it's like, I mean, Paul uses this language of people that still need milk, not solid food. And whether we find ourselves in that place because of age or because of lack of spiritual formation, development, all of those different things, it feels like somewhere the goal is to grow and to be a light in the world around us. And so so a friend of mine, he gave me this interesting pushback. I'm, I'm still playing with it a little bit, still wrestling. He, he said, show me in the Bible where it says your kids are supposed to be a light to the world. Uh, he was like, you're supposed to be a light to the world. Never says anything about them. I'm like, ooh, I mean, interesting. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm processing that, but, but somewhere my kids need to grow up to, to be the light that God, the, the light of, of the, the message of Jesus in the world around them. I mean, just to take Jesus' simple phrase, they are the light of the world. Um, a city on a hill. Where that happens, I guess, is where the question is. And, and so even if there's some space now to protect them from some things, eventually their maturity needs to grow to a point where they can be that in the world around them. And I think that the reason I still would stand by my message, <laughs> shockingly, is I is that, that that could make a great title? Preacher stands by what he said on Sunday. Like surprise. <laughs> I mean, I could have preached the whole other direction the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like you should have moral disgust Take for your everybody kids out of school. Yeah, and um, and I'm not even making an argument for that or mm-hmm. otherwise because it's not it's not necessarily about that. The 
I think that the teachings of Jesus are invitational. They're not law. They're not like mandates in the sense that um, the mechanism of having right relationship with God hasn't even according to like David has never been the rules mm-hmm. and regulations. It's been about uh, relationship yeah. and encounter Comfort, with the living, heart, a, all yeah. of those things. And ultimately in the person of Christ, the death resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the important piece of the puzzle to get us individually re- re- in right relationship with God. So then what are the rules all about? Well, they're actually invitations to life and they're invitations to a better way of living and stuff. Mm-hmm. So so this the argument that I don't want to be exposed to something, otherwise I'll get contaminated by it and I'll start running off into sin is actually a misunderstanding mm. about the potency of the invitation of Jesus. Oh. Because the it's it's well, those things are so attractive that I might be enticed. Well, yes unless you genuinely believe that the teachings of Jesus are more attractive. Yeah. And that's the aim of teaching kids. The the I think the aim of of cultivating a generation that's not going to be easily contaminated by the world is to to teach the the way of Jesus in such a way that it's so beautiful and compelling that it's that it actually has invitational power yeah. to it rather than uh, law regulation power. That's does that make sense? It it's does, sort yeah. of a it's, hard and, argument and, to and, explain, and especially totally, when yeah. I have a cold in my yeah, head. Yeah, absolutely. You got, you got a lot to think about. I, 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 there's a quote that keeps coming back to me, uh, and I'm blanking on the author right now. It may be a, a Dallas Willard quote. It may be um, yeah, someone so, smart from right? that stream. Someone smarter than anyone in the room. Um, and, and the quote goes something like, the way of Jesus has, um, has not been found wanting, uh, or, not, or not been tried and found wanting. It's been left untried. It's been, it's been left untried. Essentially, I'm I'm blanking completely on that. Mm. On a good verbatim quoting of that, but but there's this idea of like, no, it's not that we've tried it and it's it doesn't work. It's that we've we've just given it half-hearted attention. We've not really entered into it. But the but the way of Jesus, when lived out properly, is compelling to the point that that. It, of course you're invited in and of course I want to be invited in and there's water. Well, and I think that our faith, um, I, I do think it's still it, it, an argument that we we have this ability to get contaminated by the world is actually an argument from weakness. Mm-hmm. It's an argument that like, if I get to see the other options, then this one's not going to be good enough. Yeah, that's like, what's behind door number three? It's and like- And the answer is no, I think if you explore all the options, the way of Jesus is still by far the most compelling and most beautiful expression of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And in, and unless our faith has been bombarded by all the options in such a way, and we've and we've considered them in such a way that we can come out with that conclusion, then we ha- then we haven't actually fully encountered His way, yeah, and experienced His way, and so. Um, and that's the fear connection almost like totally. the fear of what if I can't survive? What if I can't be good enough? What if my kids can't be good enough? What if this happens to them? What if they get exposed to this? Where will they, um, where, where will they end up? Uh, so Elena and I were watching a movie the other day and, and it like just, it was a movie that was made in the eighties. It was PG. And for the most part, there was nothing in the movie that I was worried about. <laughs> But there's these couple of times where a couple of the characters mention sex. 
and, and you kind of sat there with a 10 year old who's still figuring stuff out really um and then there's this moment of like wait isn't some of the problem that that our uh, our whole american society finds sex a terrifying thing to talk about um it's almost like it's it's almost treated especially in christian circles as this really this really dirty thing and and that's why you have all these people that get married at a young age and they feel like they're going from naught to a hundred miles an hour uh, and they've they've just been brought up with this sense of no I, I shouldn't really be talking about this like there's a whole bunch of fears there that we we project onto our kids like what will they become if they if they get to see what's behind some of these doors yeah um and, and that doesn't mean there's not a right time and a right place. Totally. Uh, and so and you see the tension with the conversations in Florida right now about like, well, should totally. we, when, when should we be talking about these totally. things? Totally. And we, so I, like, that's the whole side of the argument that I just didn't have any bandwidth in a in the course of a sermon mm -hmm. to address all of those things. But, so I'm not at all arguing that we don't pace these sorts of yeah. things and, and teach these sorts of things. But if we have this expectation that the way of Jesus like there's something that my kids could discover that's going to be ultimately so compelling that um that it'll it's genuinely better than the way of Jesus well that's not a thing i yeah. don't think i think there's this beautiful strength that we have that to say no that the way of Jesus is actually so beautiful it can stand up to every worldview mm, yeah there's no scientific discovery that's going to show up on the horizon at least uh, there's been moments where the church has thought there's one uh -huh. and every time, like upon further study and further exploration, you're like, oh my goodness, this is so in alignment with the yeah, way of yeah, Jesus yeah. and on and on and oh, on and the on. the world is flat. Oh wait, it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, it's oh, exactly. Yeah. And on and on. But the, so, but that doesn't mean we don't, um, we are not cautious and, and we don't have to figure out the complexity mm. of exposing our kids to things in the world. Mm. But that doesn't mean you have moral disgust for someone. Yeah, and that, and that I think, nudges us healthily onto the place we saw a lot of people land with this was, mm -hmm. again, going back to that question of, well, not really sex, but sexuality. Like, that was, the I think, the profound takeaway. So unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah, it was interesting. I had... Out of mo I had a ton of people reach out to me and, and just express that they had someone they were they knew or someone in their life who um, was you know a, of a different sexual persuasion than we typically advocate in the in the local church and so and then either they would say I've wrestled with disgust for this mm -hmm. or they said I'm so glad you this is like reaffirming to me because the church mm. they've told me I can't ever go to church because of this mm -hmm. or on and on and on and on. And so it is a tricky, it's a tricky, it's so tough th thing to, to deal with. But I think that the, the life of Jesus shows us over and over and over again, that Jesus would have figured out a way to be, to interact and engage with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in his day and age, it was Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, prostitutes. Mm -hmm. These were the these were the same on the same sort of playing field Absolutely, as far as disgusting yeah. behaviors and people groups as we might uh, have classically thought of in the in the church world or in the Christian world of other things related to like sexual orientation or political worldviews or whatever it is art in our day. Jesus would have found a way to do this in a way that was 
massively rehumanizing and beautiful and good in some way. And that's the complexity that stands before us as followers of Jesus. We have to figure out how to do that. And, and how to operate in a world that, that we don't always understand um, and that changes and, and, and is, is fluid. Like I think some of the conversations around sex, gender have moved massively in the last 10 years. Uh, and then also in the last maybe 40 or 50 years, there's a huge bun bunch of changes there. Uh, a memory that I have of my early faith, maybe 19, 20 years old, uh, working with a bunch of guys and girls the same age was somewhere this conversation coming up. Uh, and they knew that I'd started following Jesus. They knew, uh, they probably didn't know me before I was, to be honest. So so to them, I was always, Alex, one of my nicknames was Priest. Um, like that that was just, you know. Nice. And, and again, that came with some great stuff. They would come to me for advice and things, all those different things. But but there, there was this knowledge of, of who I was and what I stood for. And I remember one of the guys saying to me, um, well, you're a Christian, so you must hate gay people, right? And, and I was intrigued by the use of the word hate. Like, so right now we probably get this sense of attention between hate and disagree with. Are those the same things? Um, but in, at least in his perception, without even knowing whether I disagreed or not, he went towards hate, which is probably along the same lines as disgust, right? There's, there's probably some... Yeah, and I think synergy there. And I I think some of the some of what's going on there actually has to do with how Hollywood and other media circles portray Christianity. Mm -hmm. And not even just Hollywood, but the media picks up on certain extremist re religious slash Christian yeah. groups that are genuinely hateful and mm -hmm. horrifying. Yes. To me. Yeah. Actually, if I'm honest, when I was going through this message and saying, Jesus, what's the message for me? Whenever I'm teaching something or preaching something, I, I'm always saying, Lord, I want to learn this first. The groups of people that I feel the most moral disgust for are Christians. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I get that. I, I no, be yeah. one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. is one of the, these things. Well, first and let me say, I love your premise of how, how does it speak to me? I'm like, God, fix these people. Like, what, what have you got for that? <laughs> uh, but, but I think I, I totally agree there is that we are broad enough as an entity, Christians, that there's going to be some sense of no, not, I'm not like those Christians. We and, even use that language. And more and more nowadays, I feel like when people find out I'm a Christian, if I if that term even comes up, it's like right off the bat, I feel obligated to say, oh, I'm not like that kind. Mm -hmm. yeah. there's, there's, a, there's other kinds. You know that, right? Please, like... Don't write me off as that kind, the kind that you grew up with and that that uh, was belligerent and angry and gruff about certain things in mm -hmm. your childhood church or that kind that yeah. that uh, was abusive to kids and the whatever it may mm -hmm. be that you have this perception about Christianity. I feel like when people find out, I'm always like apologetic because of how the church has been portrayed either by Hollywood or by some extreme groups. And it just breaks my heart that people write off Christianity for non-Jesus reasons. Mm -hmm. That just, that <laughs> shatters my soul. Yeah. And so my moral disgust the, and the thing that I had to repent before Jesus this week while I was preparing this message was to say, even the religious people who are genuinely trying to follow, they're Aaron, they're genuinely trying to follow mm -hmm. They think they're on the right path, mm -hmm. just like Paul did mm -hmm. before he got encountered on the on the road to Damascus. He was killing Christians, but he was genuinely trying to follow me. Okay, 
all right, yeah. I have to relinquish this this moral disgust that I have for them mm. who seem to give Christianity a bad name. And yeah. I have to say, how do I love even those who are in my sphere that make me feel like I look bad? Yeah, totally, yeah. And 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 so like in this complex world, and, and I think what I loved about your message, <laughs> I think it's a stance we try and hold here at South all the time. We're constantly about the complexity. Uh, we're very rarely going to stand up and say black and white, this is the answer, other than Jesus, um, and maybe a couple of other things. We're going to wrestle with the fact that there are tensions. Why is it that some people, we pray for some people that they get healed and others that they don't? Yeah. Uh, why is it that some people seem to do all the right things and end up broke, uh, alone, all of the things that we maybe think of as negative things? Uh, yeah. We wrestle with those tensions a lot, I think. Uh, and so I love that you recognize that this is a tension. But a couple of questions I have. The first one is, um, in this complex world, what does it look like to love someone that you don't agree with? Well, I think you just answered it. I think it's complex. Yeah, I like it. Okay. I think, and and shouldn't it be? Wouldn't, mm -hmm. Isn't it more true to human existence? Like everything in human existence is complex in the, in regards to like how we interact with things and mm -hmm. every, you know, when you, as soon as you get into a relationship, you realize that, oh, there's their emotions and then my emotions and they're mixing with each other and they're confusing yeah. and complex and on and on and on. And I think the answer is, um, it's going to be as complex as human existence mm -hmm. has proven to be. Yeah. And so for us to say, no, this is right. This is wrong interact with these people, don't interact with these mm -hmm. people. Okay. So then this, that answer is just very non-human. Yeah. And so that's what I meant by it's dehumanizing uh -huh. to, to put it in that category. It doesn't exist in the human world. Mm. So to rehumanize it is to say this person has a story. And so I started to give a, an answer to that at the end of the message. And it was to learn the story. Mm. What's the backstory? What's yeah. their life? What are the things that they love and stuff? Take that parti the particular issue that you disagree with. That's just one facet of mm -hmm. who makes them a human being. And then learn the, the, the rest of that part. And there's a lot to love in, in people beyond the one issue that you may disagree with them, the one, two, three issues that... And so there is a lot to love. Yeah. And I disagree with my wife on things. I disagree with my kids about things. That doesn't mean I don't love them. I used to disagree with my wife on stuff, but then she said, no, you don't, not anymore. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I should do that. Like genius. Yeah. You got it all figured she, out. She, she, she just said, no, she just, she brought me back into line. And so uh, I think that's the challenge we have, especially in our day and age with this, this, we have this inclination to make people a single issue. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you're a Democrat. Oh, uh -huh. you're a Republican. That's all that you are. A hundred percent of your humanity is wrapped up in your single issue. Mm -hmm. What? Seriously? And so this is where I'm, where what I find intriguing because I completely agree. And even when people have multiple issues, like so many that it becomes almost like the the identity that they carry, because you see that right, especially around questions of sexuality. Totally. This, this is who I am. Uh, and I, and I'm I'm not sure that's ever as healthy as we think it is when we're doing it. But I grew up in a holiness culture, so so I I was very much like I, I went through the whole purity phase. I went through the whole like 
courtship instead of dating phase. I went through all of the you like- You kissed you know, dating goodbye? Yeah, exactly. Right. All of those things. I went through like years of teetotal, like to the point that I was pretty insufferable at times. I think I, I remember being in a wedding of like 400 people and insisting that the waiter bought me orange juice instead of champagne for the toast. Because I just like, and, and anyone who wow. knows me now would be like, that doesn't sound like you. And, I, and again, I don't think it was. I think it was, it was a warped holiness. When you read the Pharisees, these characters that Jesus constantly interacts with, what, one of the, like, the, the nuances to them, and we miss this maybe as Westerners, was their whole premise was, if we can get people to follow Torah law, the Messiah will come. This is like an activator. This is like a switch we're going to press. So, so it, it created a culture of we're going to go around every single person. We're going to find their issues, even if it's just one, and especially if it's lots, will fix their issue and that will fix the problem. And then we'll be out from under Romans. Yeah. And then iron fist. It's like all up from there. Uh, and I think that's how we practice holiness in the church a lot. Whereas Jesus practice of holiness began with him. It seems it began with who he was, his relationship with his father that constantly required going off into spaces alone, finding that time to relate to, to be transformed. Yeah. Um, uh, and then when he came back into the world that was full of all of those people that he didn't agree with, something incredible happened. He was compelling to them. Uh, he didn't even have to mention the issue. They knew it. That they, they, they knew the thing. Uh, and yeah, it's so interesting. His, his interaction with Zacchaeus. Uh -huh. It's like Jesus doesn't ask for this massive, like Zacchaeus is a tax collector and he like I'm gonna give all the money back and I'm yeah. gonna pay interest on it. And I'm gonna Jesus is like, okay, we weren't even talking about that, Zacchaeus. Yeah. But yeah, we, we did we didn't get to that. We part didn't yet. even address this really. Um we were just hanging out for a meal and you just felt seen and valued and loved and encountered in a in a significant way. And you knew the issue uh -huh. under the surface. And, and beautifully, like the, the Zacchaeus starts by following this like old law that says what to do to make restoration. And then he's like but what if I just did loads more than that as well? What if it, what if it was way more than just the, the, the legal aspect? Uh, and that's what you see when you allow space. And so I, I think that that's what you're getting at there is sort of the answer to your question. How do you love someone that you disagree with? Well, one, the first step is to make sure that they're not reduced to a single issue so that because there's a lot of things to love mm -hmm. that's beyond that issue. And that allows for some love. But then... Um, then once you have this relationship and establish the way of Jesus is a compelling way. Mm. And there's, if there's a relational foundation upon it where you can say, you know, there's this, Jesus has this way of living that's beautiful mm -hmm. and I can't help but recommend it to mm -hmm. you. Have you ever considered this? And it's on a foundation of love and a foundation of relationship. Mm -hmm. It's an invitation to a better way of being human. That's that, and I've had the opportunity with people with very different worldviews, very different um, uh, moral decisions about how they conduct their lives in a multiple different categories. And it's a different kind of conversation to invite to them to something that's really exciting, that's life-giving mm. than it is to say, if you keep doing that thing, then you're going to the hot place. Yeah, yeah, fix the thing. Uh, and that, that, that way of being that you described the first one, that requires trust because Jesus may not fix the things that you think need fixing, 
Uh, it reminds me of the conversation between two of Jesus' disciples, between Peter and John. Peter's looking at John and he's like, what's going to happen to this guy? Um, I've been told I'm going to die in some horrible way. Life is like going to be a bit of a struggle for me. What about John? And Jesus is like, <laughs> it's not really your issue, is it? Like, back up from John. Worry about Peter. Worry about yourself. Uh, don't, don't get overly concerned with what I'm doing over there with John. Um, and, and I think we do that. We have very much a sense of like, what is God going to do? And one story I've used, I think in our conversations, but I don't think ever we've talked in this podcast was, was a, a friend of mine who started pastoring an older, more traditional Pentecostal church and a lot of people in their forties, fifties, sixties and beyond. And then there's this moment where they got this young couple that came in, uh, that, that were unmarried sharing a house together. And so in that tradition, the first thing that might happen is people take them aside and point them to a passage in the Bible and say, no, 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 this isn't the way you're supposed to live. And, and my friend looked at them and said, you know, if any of you, any of you says anything to them, I'm going to persecute you personally. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be coming after you. Uh, and so after a couple of weeks, maybe months, they're at this friend's house, they're having dinner together. And as they're having dinner, there's this conversation that sparks up and the guy looks at my friend and he says, so can I just ask like, we've been reading the Bible together. Should we be married if we're going to live together? And my friend's like, wow, you know, that's the traditional biblical view, like that marriage is designed as this ideal that God has for you. That would be a great step. And the, the guy looks at the girl and he's like, well, I love you. Do you love me? And she's like, yes, I love you. And he, then he says, well, do you want to get married? She's like, yeah, absolutely. And, and, he, and the problem that was perceived in the church, Jesus already knew what he was doing. Uh, he was already at work. Uh, and that seems like a much better model than than going to everyone and saying, I see this issue. Please fix that for next week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think the other, so if you're, if you're wrestling with, you know, the question Alex asked me earlier, how do I love someone that I'm disagreeing with a certain decision they're making or whatever it is? Um, that's another tip embedded in the story that Alex just said. It's this, this idea that um, patience, mm. Jesus is obnoxiously patient, almost annoyingly patient mm. sometimes so with, with me and yeah. things that I want changed in my own life, things I want changed in other people. And so uh, being willing to be patient and then uh, affirming obedience to the way of Jesus whenever you have a chance with the, that, the person that you're talking mm. about. So when they, when there's a moment where something comes up, a decision that seems more in alignment with the way of Jesus, and they're like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this, even if it's in a completely different category, affirming the wisdom of the way of God and the way of Jesus. And then, um, especially if they realize, especially if they realize that these are the way, the teachings of Jesus, over time, trust in who he is and his wisdom for their lives will be so strong that if Jesus chooses to bring that issue up, mm. they'll be ready then. I love um, and I think that that's part of how you interact with someone. And uh, I, sometimes I know that I've had a few relationships or sort of folks that I've mentored or counseled. And I know that there's some bigger issue that may come up down the road for them personally. A, a lot of times I choose not to spend my time mm. there right off the bat because 
instead, what I want them to do is I want them to realize that Jesus is the smartest human being who ever watched, walked the face of the earth because he's God mm-hmm. and he made us. He designed our very physiology yeah, to know yeah. what works both biologically, emotionally, psychologically. He knows all of that. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't believe that he's wise, good, gracious, loving, and he has something to say about being human, why would you take the most dear identity defining issue in their life and say, deal with that one right now. Instead, establish trust in who he is and say Mm -hmm. like, what's Jesus saying to you about, you know, your anger? Yeah. Or what's Jesus talking to you about, or, you know, how, man, I encountered this idea where in my own life, where I, I, Jesus taught this and I tried it. It was amazing. I highly Mm -hmm. recommend it to you. Start there. And then over time, they're like, man, I think I trust Jesus. Which is incredible, right? Because that's the pattern we use in uh, in our human relationships. If we can trust people on some surface stuff, we tend to start trusting them with some deeper stuff. Um, we, we try and flip that a little bit, I think. And, and Yeah, so. it's like always get to that bottom line. Like you've got to make this certain commitment. This is or- the thing. This is the thing. And it's always tithing. That's not really. Um, it's, anyway. Yeah. And I love that. that. Those are some great summaries. We didn't we didn't get a chance for you to give tips on. You have a great capacity for dealing with physical disgust and eating the worst things. Do you have like one tip? What what can people do? Do they do you just like imagine you're eating something delicious or is it just simply? You just I think most it? of the time it is delicious. Most of the time. That's that's incorrect. But anyway. (laughs) So how's that for a tip? Yeah, absolutely. Just like bad stuff. Um, I I think, strangely, it's the same thing as the message. Yeah. So when I was traveling these mission agencies, most cultures, it's, it's a sign of respect and honor to them. And so for me, I'm thinking like there was this time where I sat down at a table and they basically served me, served me a bowl of chunks of lard, Mm -hmm. just big old chunks of lard. And and it wasn't my favorite idea of like, normally it's maybe the large chunk of fat that you have on the edge of the steak Mm -hmm. that you sort of discard. That was the entire bowl of, of the meal. And I was just like, I'm in this pastor's house in this rural place in the Philippines. And I'm like, and they prepared this, this probably is the best that they have to offer a guest at any given moment. And I'm like, because of honoring them, yeah. And loving them well. I just pounded that thing. Yeah. It was actually quite good. Oh, man. But I've, <laughs> had, I've had similar stories. I just feel like I've dealt with them less well than you at times. Um, it does help maybe growing up in Africa. That maybe helps maybe. a little bit. Though. Although people Step say, one, grow up people in say Africa. The, the English cuisine is different. Well, I get to do the part this week. Uh, if you're watching or listening, then like, subscribe, and share. That's really helpful. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I guess we can say please rate the... Give us a rating. Yeah. That will definitely... It'll help sort of get us out there a little bit in the podcast universe. I have a feeling that this this particular episode might bring some more interesting questions. If you have difficult questions or you're angry, direct them all to Alex because he's the top boss. And maybe if there's some questions that, that are difficult, we could actually next week after Easter is maybe a good week where we'll go back and reflect on some difficult questions. So if you have some challenging questions... Send them in and we'll... Either in the Facebook comments section or the YouTube comments section. Or write Uh, a letter. Write a sternly worded letter. Send it into the church. There you go. Awesome. Thank you so much. I have to run up there and shut this off now. Let's see if I can figure this out. Well, thanks again for listening. And we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. 
We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.